So <clears throat> Jeff had some clarifications, you know, that it was only 38 years, not 40. But actually, I like Reg's comments better because he says he's had 40 years of ministry. I figure if he's commending me for 40 years, I have at least two more years to go before anything really happens to me. So his prayer will still have effect for two more years. Um, you know, it's great to be back, like I said. Um, our family literally lived just across the street from the old Lake City School, and I think I was carried as a baby to this church when I was less than a month old, and I was here regularly, as, as was said, and, and accepted the Lord here. So it's wonderful to be back. But another element of being a part of this church, different from other churches, is that this church has had a long-standing history of embracing foreign missions, of raising up foreign missions, supporting foreign missions, and so I feel very privileged and blessed to have had critical years of my life as a part of this church, both in the first five and a half years, and then our family moved back when I was finished my junior year of high school, and then I was here during the time that I'd gone away to college, would come back in the summertime, and then, of course, have been a missionary supported by the church. And my sister still lives over in Stillicum, and so I was asking her some questions about, you know, missions in the church right now. And I don't know if you've seen this particular brochure, but, you know, global workers teaming with us to fulfill Acts 1-8 in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. There are very few churches of any size that have the kind of missions program that is carried on here at Lake City. Very few churches have sent out as many missionaries as Lake City. And so uh, many of you may not be involved in missions. You may have some missionary friends. But this is an incredible place for me to have called my first church and my church home. And so it's great to be back. I really do appreciate being here. Well, this morning we're going to talk, oh, I was supposed to say something about my family. I do have a family, and it's more than just my wife up there that was on the slide that you saw. Um, we have two kids. Both were born in Taiwan, and uh, one of them, my son, went to Seattle Pacific, and then he went back to China to teach English, and along the way, I met one of his older classmates. She was younger, but she was from the school that he'd gone to. Her parents were involved in missionary ministry based out of Hong Kong into mainland China. And uh, so really, it was our daughter-in-law's parents that acted as the matchmakers. You know, they had a daughter who had just graduated from college. Here was this young man that their family knew who had been a friend of their son. And they were the ones that kind of put that match together. And then our son and his wife lived in uh, Shanghai. And then they were in um, Dubai for three years. And now this last fall, they just moved to um, Amman, Jordan, and it was fun for me to go and visit them over there, and so it's great to have that set of kids, and they had our first grandchild, and then our second child is a daughter, Whitney, and uh, she's a missionary midwife. After having uh, gone through training, uh, she went to Togo, where she would practice her midwifery, and there's some amazing stories that she has. Uh, and I told one of those stories to the uh, kind of missions and pastor uh, leadership team last night. Uh, but she met a young man in Togo. Uh, they were married. And then they recently moved over to Malawi, East Africa, where there are people in this church who carry out ministry there with the Passion Center. 
And so I look forward in future trips to be able to connect with Eric and the work that they do there. So I, I love being a missionary, having missionary kids, and then kids who want to also serve the Lord in his missions. A few years back, I was attending a Bible study. I was actually the leader of this study, and we were going through the book of Luke. Now, it's always great to be involved with other friends as you study God's word and as you pray and you support each other, um, you know, as we just live life. But as we got to Luke chapter 18, uh, there was a phrase that just as the beginning of that chapter that just really impacted me. It got my attention. And it says that Jesus taught a parable, teaching them that they should pray always and never give up. So right after I had um, heard or participated in that Bible study, I went to a prayer summit at our church on a Saturday morning. And the speaker was Daniel Henderson, retired pastor, and he leads a ministry called uh, Strategic Renewal. And having been a pastor, having led pastors' conferences, leading a renewal movement, he made the statement that is on the screen there. He says, it seems like over my years of pastoral ministry, uh, congregational prayer, prayer focuses within the church are diminishing. They're getting weaker. They're less strong. And so he made this statement. I see the results of prayerlessness in our churches and all around us. Our churches are shrinking out losing young people, and we see sin coming into the church and a lessening of the impact of the church on the society around them. And then he went on to say this, the most tragic thing of all is that we seem to be okay with it. Now, I don't think we're really okay with the things I just mentioned, but it's more like we have this sense of, of impotence. What can we do? It's just the way it is. This is the fate of our generation, the fate of the church at this point in time. And he says, well, the, really the answer is that prayer must be restored to a place of prominence and centrality uh, throughout the way the church does church. Not just in the gathering of the church on a Sunday morning, but when small groups are together, when individuals are together. We need to believe that prayer makes a difference, and so we need to pray regularly and fervently and in faith, believing that when we pray, something happens. And so that was really an important thing for me to hear. Now he goes on, he made one more statement, and it was talking about prayerlessness. Now, I imagine the choice of word of prayerlessness is actually an overstatement. But it probably would be more accurate to say that there is a diminishment of prayer around us. And that when we diminish prayer and face, fail to practice prayer, it really is our declaration of independence from God. Now, I mean, out there, you all, you know the Lord. You've been touched by his grace. You know that he is the, the creator who set this universe into motion, who spoke a word and it came into existence. That he gave us our life. That he's the author of our salvation. That he listens to our prayers. In Psalm 62 it says, Pour out your heart to him, for he cares for you. Why would we want to be prayerless if prayer is our line of communication with our Heavenly Father, who loves us dearly. 
His word says that he delights in us. He cherishes us. He lavishes good gifts on us. So why would we want to distance ourselves from God and not talk to him about our own concerns, about the needs that we see, and also his own global mission and how he can partner in that global mission around the world? It was foolish to declare our independence from God. Now, I already said that Luke 18 begins with this phrase that Jesus told a parable teaching them that they should pray always and never give up. Luke 18 follows Luke 17. And in Luke 17, after Jesus has led his disciples through years of ministry, as he modeled prayer before them, we know that the disciples at one point came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. They knew how the, the rabbis prayed. They knew how the Pharisees prayed. But prayer was so important to Jesus that he sacrificed hours out of his day to go and pray. And so they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And we know that prayer, and Rich is going to lead you in that prayer as we celebrate our um, Reg uh, later this morning for communion. But he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught them a prayer that linked what they were doing in their own lives and the purposes of God to bring his kingdom to earth. And in Luke 17, as Jesus has interacted with some Pharisees, a Pharisee asked him, well, when will the Son of Man come? When is the end of history? What will that look like? And so Jesus goes on to describe that, and he says that when the Son of Man comes, People will be eating and drinking, giving in marriage, planting crops, sowing crops. They'll just be doing life. And they really will have almost forgotten about the imminent return of the Son of Man. And so then he comes to Luke 18. And he says, I'm going to tell you a story, and this is what it is. This is the key point, that you should pray always and never give up. You know, a good speaker doesn't just tell a story and let it end. He kind of leads into the story. He tells the story, and then he told, tells you why he told you the story. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. So let's turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 18. A great story about prayer and about life. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept on coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God 
bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Teaching about the need for prayer, the need to persevere in prayer, but that God is different than the unjust judge who neither cared about men nor feared God. God is the one who created us. We're his children. He loves us just like you as parents love your children. And when your children ask for something, you're delighted to give it to them. But God is a wise God who knows all things. And he knows how to bless us so that we grow through life, growing in our ability to engage with God and to be useful to God as he's bringing his kingdom here on earth and then ultimately will establish his own eternal kingdom. God hears our prayers. We should never doubt that God hears our prayers and that he cares for us who pray. It's very easy when God doesn't answer our prayers immediately or in the way that we want to think, well, does God really care? Does this prayer really make any difference? Prayer does make a difference. And Jesus modeled that. And those of you who pray greatly have experienced many ways that God engages you in your life. I didn't tell this story in the other services. They told me I had a strict timeline. But, you know, this is, you know, the second service. There's not another service bumping up against this. The Seahawks don't play until 105. You know, and so we're all good to go here for just a little bit longer. Well, my daughter, I said that she was a missionary midwife in Togo, West Africa. And so, you know, some parts of the world, there's great Wi-Fi signal, good telephone signal. It's not quite so good with that location. And so typically we'd text back and forth with uh, Facebook Messenger or maybe uh, some other uh, platform. But this day, we actually got a phone call from her. Now, here we are in Colorado, and she's in, Mal in uh, Togo, and we're getting a phone call. And not only is she talking to us, but pretty soon she kind of breaks into tears. There's just this, you know, emotion in her voice. And she says, I have had a terrible day. Now, she worked with um, a missionary nurse who had kind of some emotional instability, and sometimes this woman was wonderful, and sometimes this woman was very verbally abusive and emotionally abusive. And that had been one of those tough days. Well, no parent wants to hear that your kids are having a tough day. And it's even worse when they're not right there in your living room talking to you. You know, but they're about 8,000 miles away. And what can you do? Well, there are things that we can do. We can pray. And so we listened and encouraged her. And as soon as the, the phone, well, before we hung up the phone, I says, Whitney, We'll be praying for you. And the call ended. And it was during a time that I actually was preparing the sermon for the first time. And I was thinking about this. And so I was convicted. Pray always and never give up. And so I don't think we got down on our knees. But my wife and I got together. And we prayed for her. That God would be at work. That God would encourage her. Sustain her. That God would also work in this situation. This relational kind of a mess. And that things could improve because who wants to continue to work in a small community where you know that there's just this friction and this discomfort and lack of respect. And so 
You know, oftentimes when we pray, we don't hear the immediate answer. And it was such a blessing about 45 minutes later for Whitney to send us a text and say, you know, uh, this person and I, we had a chance to get together to talk, uh, to kind of apologize, and it's kind of like we got back to a healthy place in their relationship. Now, was it just our prayers? No. But did our prayers make a difference? Yes. And you all have your own stories about things that are going on around you where there's that choice. Do we pray about this? Do we entrust it to God? Or do we just get on with life? The wise person chooses to acknowledge our weakness, our dependence, and we go to God and say, God, meet my needs, meet the needs of this person, or accomplish your will out in the world where your missionaries live. When I was putting this sermon together, I was thinking about Paul's teaching on spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. So turn over there as well. And so Paul was very familiar with spiritual warfare. He had a lot of difficult experiences. He had beatings. He was thrown into prison. He was led out of a walled city in a basket. I mean, he knew what it was like to face opposition. But it wasn't just physical opposition from human beings. He could see the spiritual landscape and that there were spiritual powers against which we struggle and are seeking to restrict the work of God. And so he says here in chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There are times that we need to not just be strong in ourselves, like the songs that we sang. We need to take action so that we're entering into the strength of the resurrected Savior Jesus who has given his spirit to live within us. And he says, call out to me and I'll give you my strength. And so Paul goes on to write about our defensive weapons, our defensive armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. But he goes on to say that the sword of the Spirit is um, the word of God and is powerful. And he goes on to say that we have the shield of faith. And then he concludes this teaching in verse... Um, now my glasses aren't quite strong enough. Let's see. It's verse 18. And he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert, always keep on praying for all the saints. And pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I will declare it fearlessly as I should. When he wrote this, he wasn't on a mountaintop retreat center. He was in prison. But he had preached the word, and even as a prisoner, God's word was going forth. His prayers were being heard by God, and God was establishing his church. And so Paul was a person who believed powerfully in the, the spirit of God, God's oneness with us if we choose to be one with him, and how he accomplishes things through us. I've been ignoring the slides well, go on. He said that as Jesus was teaching his disciples, he taught this particular parable because he knew that while they had been impressed with his own prayer life, while they wanted to learn how to pray as Jesus prayed, prayed, 
He knew a time would come where they would be tempted to give up on prayer. That it wouldn't be their first thought. And so he taught them, you have to continue in prayer, to pray always, and never, ever, ever give up. Believe that prayer can change things. And we need that same encouragement for ourselves. Now there's another element to prayer. There's many different elements to prayer. Prayer can be a way of we communing with God, Him affirming His love for us, our, that He's our beloved and we're His beloved. Um, he, he speaks into our spirit. That personal element of prayer is very important. And it's important for us to pray for our family members, that they would be protected, that they would walk in paths of righteousness, that they would avoid things that would hurt them ultimately in life. We want to pray protection around our families. Those are all good things to pray for. But God also wants us to pray in other ways. And so in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and chapter 15, Jesus says some amazing things that we really kind of dismiss. He says that if you love me, if you really believe in me, you can do even greater things than I have done. Now, how is that possible? I mean, here is the Son of God who performed miracles, brought people back from life. How could we do things greater than him? At least a part of that is that we can go to places that Jesus never went. And we can carry his good news there. We can incarnate him, or incarnate him, make him visible in those places. We can accomplish his kingdom work. And he says that if we pray anything in his name, that he will answer it so that we might bear fruit. Prayer and bearing fruit are linked together in these two chapters of John 14 and John 15. So if we're not praying, we're cutting ourselves off from the potential of being fruit-bearing believers for him. It's good to witness, it's good to live for Jesus, but we need to pray that God would be at work in the people around us, at times saving them from ungodly lifestyles, bringing them to know the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus. Prayer is a part of all of that. And so if we only use it for ourselves, we're omitting things that God wants to do. So in the book uh, from John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says this, God has given us prayer as a strategic, powerful communication device to call down heavenly power to accomplish the mission of God uh, that he has given to us. But instead, we've taken prayer, made it into a domestic intercom, asking God for more blessings and more comforts as we pursue our dreams, and our plans. A while back, I was watching public television, and there was a story being told video-wise about the Korean War. And uh, there were people in this church in the years past who were veterans of the Korean War. It was a terrible war. It was up in the cold. People would get frostbite on their feet and their hands. Literally, our troops were running out of ammunition as they were up in very dangerous locations. And so they were communicating back with headquarters, and uh, the on-the-ground um, leader was talking to them and says, we just can't last here any longer. Well, the military, you know, they didn't want to retreat. Those are bad words. But they came up with a different way of expressing it. They said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to advance backwards. Now, it sounds just a little bit like retreat to me, but apparently it was important to them that they weren't retreating, they were advancing backwards. But 
If they were to do that, they were outnumbered. I mean, there were waves of mainland Chinese and North Koreans that were all around them, and they weren't going to be able to get out safely unless the commander would send forth um, airplanes to come in and to strafe the enemy positions and to make a way for the troops to get out. It was a very critical moment for the lives of those who were there. Air power protected them, and it made a way out. Well, talking to God in prayer is also an offensive weapon where, God, there are these people, there are these blockages. We just need to burst through this so that your word would be known. And I want to talk about some of the ways that that's happened in mainland China. So I lived in Taiwan and worked there from 1981 until 1996. Continued to live there, but then began to lead our organization's work in the mainland China, specifically focusing on an unreached people group called the Nosu. There were two and a half million of these people living in southern Sichuan province. We didn't have workers right away. We didn't have money. But we had a God who cared about that unreached people group. And so we began by praying. And... Uh, I put together this prayer brochure that's on the, the back table back there, and it says a 31-day prayer guide for the Nosu people. And there were different things that were drawn out of Scripture that we could pray for uh, this particular people group. And this was the prayer from day one, from Ephesians 20. Pray that God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine in bringing the glorious gospel of salvation to the Nosu people. Pray that the fruits of salvation will be widely visible among the Nosu. We know that we have a big God, but sometimes we pray small prayers. It's like, well, we want a prayer that we kind of think he can handle. Well, if God can create the universe and keep it in motion, if God can raise his son from the dead, really, there aren't any prayers that are too big for us to pray. And so we didn't know when and how God would answer that prayer, but that was our prayer. God put it in the Bible that I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or imagine, and so pray that way. Sometimes we're just way too polite in prayer. God has given us authority to ask for things. He says he wants to answer our prayers, especially if they are for the expansion of the kingdom. Let's pray that way. So in 1996... On the one column, you see the way it was when he first went. Ten believers, two foreign workers, zero groups of believers. They didn't have the Bible. There was no Christian music, no trained leaders. That's what it was. But we prayed, God, do even more than we can imagine. We want to see a church planting movement established. Not just one church, a movement of churches. And so now you see, 20 years later, the kind of things that God accomplished. Not one organization, not two organizations, but God's people collectively working and serving him among the Nosu. 10,000 believers. It would be pretty cool if Lake City Church over 20 years had 10,000 new believers that were a part of your church. Can I have an amen from, from Reg there? Amen. Okay, all right. God can do things if we ask for things. And God did that. Foreign workers came over, many different organizations. 
100 home groups were established. Uh, the New Testament was completed. The Old Testament is two-thirds completed. Um, and then there's 25 young Nosu believers who have been taking a seminary curriculum in a modular fashion. God heard our prayers. God answered our prayers. I think even more than we would have anticipated when we started praying that prayer in 1996. You know, us as human beings can get excited about some pretty silly things. Football is actually one of them. Now, I'm a football fan, so don't think that I'm dishing on football. But I am from Denver. I used to be a Seahawks fan, but I moved to Denver. And they have a pretty good football team, though I do have a long enough memory to know that when the Seahawks played them in uh, the Super Bowl, the Seahawks won. So credit to you all. But the Broncos did win one after that. Now, I have friends who have season tickets to Broncos games. I've never paid for a ticket, but it's nice to go with friends who pay the tickets for you. And so I was there, and it was a couple years ago, and we were actually playing uh, the San Diego Chargers, and Philip Rivers was the quarterback, and you guys are playing them later on this afternoon. And one of the cool things in Mile High Stadium is that when the opposing team is trying to throw a pass and the pass falls incomplete, this is what happens. 60,000 people yell, incomplete! Now, the first time I was there, I thought, wow, that's pretty loud. I mean, I didn't expect that. But now, every time you're at a game and the pass falls short, every single time, there's not one time that the crowd does not yell what I just yelled. Now, I think that the church is oftentimes way too quiet. You know, we're all nice and polite, kind of like that golf voice, you know, when you're watching a golf broadcast. But the scriptures say that when even one person comes to salvation, the angels in heaven rejoice. And I don't think they're talking in their golf voice. I think that they are really excited for what God has done because they know what that person has been saved out of. They know what he's saved too, and they rejoice about that. So this is what we're going to do. You're going to repeat one phrase after me, and it's praise you, Jesus, for all you've done among the Nosu. I'll give it to you one more time. Praise you, Jesus, for all you've done among the Nosu. Now I go one, two, three. And you're going to use your loud football game voice, and we're going to praise Jesus for what he's done. One, two, three. Praise you, Jesus, for all you've done among the Nosu. Amen. Amen. All right. God deserves our enthusiastic response. God has all kinds of promises and good statements in his word, and he wants us to be excited about that. That's what pleases the heart of God, and God has done great things. And you were all participants in what God has done there because Jim and Jackie went there with me in 2002. You've been praying, you've been giving, and God is working through all of you there among the Nosu. Well, day 10 said... Pray that the Nosu will know that God wants to be the strength of their heart and their portion forever. Cause them to highly value this tremendous treasure and give their lives as sacrifices to him. God answered that prayer too. Now there's, I thought there was a person. Yeah. Okay, so I guess it kind of links together. Then pray that the Nosu believers will be transformed into Christ's likeness and be a radiant reflection of Christ. 
So here are two Nosu women, uh, Nisi and Joy. Joy's name is Nyonyo. She was a college graduate, had an offer for a good job in uh, China, but gave that, down, gave that up. Had a chance to study in the United States for a secular position, gave that up. And then she began to be uh, the pastor of a local small house church. She leads a college fellowship. Uh, she does story writing for daily radio broadcasts that were going out over shortwave radio. And uh, they're now, they've done that for about 10 years. And they're going to discontinue the radio broadcast because all of that content has been saved into MP3 files and it is used all over the place. God is using what she is doing. When uh, Jim and Jackie and uh, Terry and Judy Olson were with me, there were really no Christians for us to interact with except for one or two. And so this is a youth fellowship that takes place uh, that joy leads. Later on, our church in Denver had a chance to support her to go to Hawaii uh, to study at the University of the Nations, YWAM base there, uh, to get some basic discipleship. And then she's gone back and done the things that I've talked about. But here's another example. It's an amazing testimony. And Phil, this is for you. We were talking yesterday about some of the things that God has done. This man, his name is Joshua. And uh, Joshua had a uncle who was a believer. Joshua heard the gospel, was attracted by the gospel, and accepted Jesus as his savior. But then the temptations of life kind of got going, and uh, he ended up leaving his wife and uh, was kind of living a wild life. He would be drinking and using drugs. And of course, it took money uh, to pay for those bad habits. He didn't have any job, any money, and so he would steal. And one night, he literally had this thought, I'm going to steal a knife, and then I'm going to go to a dark place, and this is kind of the wild western frontier of China, and I'm going to rob someone at knife point. I'll kill them if I have to. And he was there with the knife, and he was waiting for someone to come until God interrupted his plan. God convicted him. It's just like his spirit came over him, and he thought, what am I doing? How have I fallen to this? He threw the knife away, he went back to his wife, and he begged for her forgiveness and uh, repentance and uh, that they could restore their marriage. Then he went to the church and he says, you know, like the prodigal son, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Please forgive me for what I've done. You know, Jesus taught a story and he says that those that are forgiven much love much. Joshua is a phenomenal evangelist. He's now the pastor of a house church. Their house church meets nightly. And they meet every day because many of the people are not literate. They can't read the Bible. All they can do is take the Bible in by hearing. And so they meet together every evening to read God's word, to hear God's word. And they literally are learning to read by learning to read the Bible. And God blesses his word. God has blessed Joshua. He's an amazing guy. I count him as a friend. Well, the final prayer for them is to pray for the church to stand against adversity. About 10 days ago, I received an um, email newsletter with some attachments. And you won't be able to see this, but this is a picture 
of a large Chinese church that's in the middle of being dynamited. Uh, there is a cloud of cement dust. Uh, the cross is leaning, and of course soon it's all flat on the ground. The current government of China is very much against the Christian church. They're against Islam, all religions. And it is a tough time for believers. The same news update said that over 314 believers have been killed this last year. Others are, uh, they don't know where they are. They, they, there's, there's no word about their situation. And then others are kind of off the grid trying to not call attention to themselves because there's so much pressure against believers. It's not just an idle prayer. We may be able to gather without any risk. Our lives may be comfortable, but that's not the way it is for many of the Christians in China. There are literally more Christians in China today than there are Christians in the United States. Praise God for that. The church in China has grown from 100,000 in about 1970 to 132 million. God has done amazing things, and he's not done. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to face adversity, and this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered. It wasn't like pray for us to get out of the hardship. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, but this happened so that we might not trust in ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks with us on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. In Hebrews 13.3 it says, Pray for those who are in prison as if you yourself were in prison. If my brother were in prison, I would be praying. If my friend that I personally know was in prison, I would be praying. The author of Hebrews writes, All of you are reading my letter. Pray for those who are in prison as if you yourself were in prison. I think it's important for us as a church in the midst of comfort and prosperity and safety, to not neglect praying for the church in the midst of persecution. Just yet another thing that we can pray for. Like I started off saying, I counted a great privilege to have grown up some of my years in this church, for it to be my first church, and to have this chance to be back here on this Sunday, really the last Sunday of my preaching and missionary career, to be with all of you. I pray that the words that Jesus taught his disciples that day would be cemented in your mind. That whatever circumstance comes up, whatever pain you're facing, whatever lack you have, whatever challenge you see, that you would think that I should pray always in all circumstances and that I would never, ever, ever give up. There's that phrase that says, push Pray until something happens. That's when we know we should stop praying, when the prayer has been answered. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a glorious Savior, that you have given us a glorious gospel, that we have a glorious hope, and that we are going to be with you in heaven one day that's going to last for eternity. 
with such a great hope. Lord, motivate us to speak, to live, and to pray that many, many others would share this same glorious hope. And Lord, we pray for those in China and the Middle East and other places where they're facing great persecution. Lord, we have it so easy. Be with them. Ease their suffering. Give them boldness. Help them to endure. All for your own eternal glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.